Hey, just a heads up. The episode you're about to listen to is The Lost Boys, written by Jan Fisher, James Jeremias, and Jeffrey Bohm, and was directed by Joel Schumacher. Our hosts have ranked this movie as spoopy. If you'd like to learn more about the movie discussed this evening, please visit our website, progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm, for show notes, relevant links, and transcripts of each episode. After the spooky music, we'll talk about the episode in full, so be forewarned, there will be spoilers. Now, let's get on with the show. Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight, it's our third week of Pride, but we decided to talk about a vampire movie, which is totally and definitely not gay. It's The Lost Boys. I am your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cinebites. First, they're here to invade your house and find queer content in all your favorite movies. My co-host and comic book writer, Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? Man, vampire Keith or Sutherland got mad gross feet. That's what happens when you're a vampire. They don't okay. talk about it. Right, like they don't mention that. They're like, by the way, your feet gonna be like mad fucked up. Very hard to shop for shoes. That's why we wear the Doc Martens. Yes, big stompy costumes. And we picked her up at the spooky crossroads of anime and sexy monster media. It's co-host and comics artist Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? I am in my element. This is my home of sexual, and I'm happy to be here. Fantastic. I'm glad we found it. And our special guest tonight, our friend and comics writer and artist, Emmett Hobbs. Emmett, so happy to finally have you. I am very excited to talk about gay vampires. It's my favorite thing in the world. There's so much to talk about with this movie. Before we jump in, let's do a little bit of the basics because I wrote a lot of ridiculous things here. This is directed by Joel Schumacher. Before he died, he directed St. Almost Fire, Flatliners, Falling Down, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, 8mm, Phone Booth, <laughs> Phantom of the Opera, The Number 23, and most importantly, the video for Seals, Kiss from a Rose. Jeremy? <laughs> Yeah. Hey, Jeremy, did you know that when it snows, your eyes become alive? And, uh, baby! That's fine. It's very good. Thank you. <laughs> this is written by Jan Fisher and James Jeremiah, who did the original draft. And then we have Jeffrey Boehm, who was also the writer on The Dead Zone, Lethal Weapon 1, 2, and 3, Inner Space, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Witches of Eastwick, The Phantom, yeah. and the creator of Briscoe County Jr., the fantastic. Show starring Bruce Campbell, oh, James man, the, Patrick, this cast Peter is... Sutherland, Diane Weist, Corey Haim, Corey Feldman, Alex Winter. We could go on and on. The you know the granddad from Gilmore Girls is uh, very <laughs> very present in this movie. You mean the dad from Richie Rich? No, I mean the granddad Gilmore Girls. Yes, Corey Haim legitimately giving a great leading kid performance. Keith Sutherland steals every scene he's in. Yeah. Corey Feldman making the most clunkers acting decisions I've ever seen. <laughs> yes. The acting in this movie, I feel, runs like such the gamut. Jason Patrick is giving me Adrian Pastar near dark vibes, which, by the way, those two movies released like four months apart. Like, yeah. what the fuck? Uh, Lost Boys did significantly better at the box office. Yeah. And I wonder if that hurt Near Dark. Like, if people saw Near Dark and were like, ah, that's his fucking Lost Boys ripoff. We saw that in the summer and just, like, stay at home. They're so similar in a lot of ways, 
but they approach the idea of vampires so differently because like this is just steeped in vampire mythology and lore and stuff and near dark was like what the fuck are vampires we were not going to say vampire the entire time we're going to like come up with a cure for being a vampire it's bonkers the the, the way that this is all put together uh, i was reading in the sort of trivia about this movie that the original idea for it in the script that Jan Fisher and James Jeremias wrote is that like they were going much more literal with the Lost Boys as all of them being kids and kid vampires and less with the sexy teen vampires, which I think really accounts for the weird dichotomy of this movie as like 80s family adventure, also vampire sex romp. Yeah, that's why it works so well. Like this movie, you know, you have two separate movies happening. But it still manages to make them work together really well. Is that Patrick it? is just moving between them. Stranger Things did have a season of television that what this movie does, just what you're talking about, it has separate characters in separate ages doing different genres <laughs> that are like age appropriate, but then they all dovetail really nicely. Also, I have one more thing to say about Corey Feldman. That's a lie. I have a thousand more things to say. <laughs> Corey Feldman in this movie both looks and acts like Christian Bale got hit with a de-aging, right? <laughs> like, right now, Christian Bale just suddenly became a small, like, not even a de-aging Ray, like, just became a smaller version of himself. Yeah. Like, like a live-action version of that Justice League Unlimited episode where the Justice League get turned into kids, but they still have their adult personalities. Like, you'd get Corey Feldman as, like, 14-year-old Batman. How With many cigarettes did he have to gargle before <laughs> he did the, it's a cave, it's all one big coffin. I thought there was supposed to be in coffins. That's what this cave is. It's one giant coffin. It's wild to me because we did Friday the 13th back during October. I went through and watched a whole bunch of the other Friday the 13th afterwards. And in Friday the 13th part four, arguably one of the better ones, Corey Feldman basically plays the same character Corey Haim is playing in this movie as he's the, you know, younger brother of the teen who's involved in the, the whole axe murdering part of the movie. Hold on though. Are his shirts are as fantastic as Corey Haim's are in this movie? Yeah. That's an important detail. Yeah. Corey Haim's no. fashion in this film is fucking it's on sad. point. And he knows it. He does. Yeah. He gets called out for it and he's like, no, fuck you. But yeah. You know, yeah, he gets called out on it by the guy who's wearing all camo the entire yeah. movie. Jameson Newlander, this poor kid is trying his best to like command any attention. And he's yeah. next to the blaming inferno of what the fuck am I watching that is Corey Feldman delivering any line. This movie has the unfortunate side effect that there are other people in it, like Jamie Gertz, <laughs> who plays Star. Like, she's ostensibly the love interest for Michael, but no sooner does, does Michael meet the group of, of boys in this that she just sort of disappears into the back. Oh, yeah. Because she's not actually his object of affection. It ends up being David. So she's more like a, an aspirational role versus wanting to be her boyfriend. Peter Sutherland, again, he steals every scene. But when he is on screen, you cannot look away from him. I was surprised having seen this movie quite a few times a long time ago, but having been a while watching this now, how few lines Kiefer Sutherland actually has. He's not on screen all that much, but when he is, he just pulls all of the attention to him. 
he's like a like an actual like luciferian figure mm -hmm. with this cherubic face and he is literally shining his right. death is spoilers he dies at the end is downright angelic he's given like a good night sweet prince made angels take him to his whatever like death like everyone else is like i'm gonna get hit with sparks until my limbs fly off and then i explode <laughs> and he just gets like soft falling light yeah, he gets a sexy lovingly on his yeah. face yeah the wise thing is Kiefer sutherland is so magnetic in this that you can't even look away from him when he's standing next to edward harriman's shirt which looks like he's fucking huey lewis like all the time <laughs> every shirt that he's wearing it's just like i what you're so tall and there's so much of that loud shirt so good one of the fucking henchman vampires is alex winter William S. Preston Esquire himself. Like, and I know it's two years before Bill and Ted, but it is still just wild seeing Alex Winter as just this, like, fabulous 80s vampire with two lines. <laughs> yeah, but he is one of the named vampires. Yeah. There's Paul, he's Marco, Marco yeah. David, and then... Dwayne is the other one. Dwayne the Vampire's yeah. really Paul sounds like a What Dwayne. We Do in the Shadows joke. This movie became a What We Do in the Shadows joke. They do the, when they do the maggots, like, for Rice thing, I point, I stopped, I was like, ah, the thing they mentioned in What We Do in the Shadows. We got that idea from the Lost Boys. Please, Nick, eat some biscotti. I didn't realize you enjoyed eating worms, Nick. No, no. They are worms. <laughs> There's worms. Wiggling around in my place. We stole that idea from the Lost Boys, but I put a nice twist on it. Nick, how did it feel to have a snake for a penis? <laughs> Jackie, my penis has disappeared. There's a cobra snake. You have a snake for a penis. Now it is a regular penis. Man, fucking David could have made the snake for a penis work, without a doubt. You know, I think it would have been better if they tried that on the Frog Brothers. Now, IMDb on this says, after moving to a new town, two brothers discovered the area as a haven for vampires, which is what this movie is about. It doesn't really capture it, though, you know? No. Yeah. That's a, yeah, that's that's a setting. This is not a, it's not yes. a description of the story. As a whole, this soundtrack slaps. This, the music in this movie is fucking amazing. The most amazing thing is that Cry Little Sister was written for this movie. The movie had not been filmed yet. And they were tasked with writing the theme for the movie. And like from reading the script, they wrote Cry Little Sister. It's amazing. Yeah. Like, so yeah. That's the original theme. Like fucking hell. Nailed it. Yeah. Uh, that is one, two, bam. People are strange in the opening. Amazing. Covered by Echo and the Bunny Men. I still believe. Shirtless, sexy sax man. Like the entirety of I Still Believe. Yeah, so we'll wait. Go to wh wherever you get your music. Go to your Spotify or whatever. Okay, you've got it. Now just listen to it low while we talk on repeat. Been yeah. listening to I Still Believe like nonstop since I'm watching this movie. Joel Schumacher got Cry Little Sister for this movie. And then for Batman Forever, he got Kiss from a Rose. And then he made Phantom of the Opera. And, uh, <laughs> what happened, buddy? Until I was in my twenties, <laughs> I truly believed Phantom of the Opera was a story about a cannibal monster. Like I really, I don't know why, why I but I really thought he was eating people. Um, that's a valid assumption. So Emmett, you chose this movie for us to watch. Now, yes, 
you didn't really need to twist our arms. So why why did you spe- specifically pick this one? I'm actually not a huge horror buff. I wasn't. I grew up uh, in the heat of the satanic panic, and so I was allowed to watch Frank Peretti movies, which Frank Peretti was a Christian horror author, um, and that was it. And so, like my backlog of this stuff, I'm still working through. And I watched this for the first time like a couple years ago, and didn't super get into it. And then I gave it another shot after I transitioned and was like, all right, I'm like a gay guy now. And then I watched it and I was like, whoa, fuck. Okay. This hits different. (laughs) It's great. And I just, I love how unabashedly queer it is in like their explicit ways, but also not explicit. And I think it just toes that line so beautifully. That Schumacher goodness. Yeah. Also Mm -hmm. big mood on certain movies hitting differently (laughs) after that's uh, but I'm a cheerleader for me. I'm like, yeah, yes. I was, I was already w- way too into this movie and now it's hitting, <laughs> uh, getting even harder. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing, one thing I wrote down during my recap was that I really enjoyed the fact that Corey Haim's character, Sam, is the, the gayest one and he is not the monster. You know, well, you can argue that Michael's whole relationship with David has some forbidden Would you need to argue David. that? Are you, are you, <laughs> Michael drinks David's blood and then becomes semi-transparent dream montage as we just get him in a semi-orgasmic bliss while the <laughs> vampires just whisper his name over and over again. It could be Nightbreed, is what I'm saying, where like a guy goes out and gets like some crazy dude sucks on his neck and he's like, and I'm that now. Go figure. Look at my chest. Nightbreed, I've been having dreams that I'm part of a gay collective of monsters and I'm going to go find it. Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't seen Nightbreed is very gay, but what if it was like, what if we did good production values and then we forgot to do good acting or good writing? Yeah, no, n- <laughs> Nightbeard, n- Nightbeard too. Is Nightbreed too? I hope you're writing this down, Nightbeard. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's what Star is in this movie, right? Yeah, a little bit. Ooh, ooh that hit good. Yeah. So, um, giving you the stats anyway. for that one, Jeremy. This movie is encoded into my DNA in a weird way, in that, like, I, I was telling Emmett before we started. I don't know how many people listening to this will have this same experience, but my parents had VHSs of multiple movies they had recorded off of TV when they came on. Hell yeah, yeah. Those movies that was on like, it was on a VHS with several other movies, some of which we couldn't watch because they were too adult. But like, this was the first one on, on this VHS. And I watched Lost Boys so many times. And like, I grew up, you know, partially in Southern California. So like, I have these sort of, sensory associations with this movie in a way that like when it comes on and they're doing that pan over the Santa Cruz boardwalk and cry little sister is playing and when they're showing the people on the street and they're playing people are strange that it's just like oh wow I'm transported to a time sitting in a you know living room watching a tiny CRT TV with my brother watching this movie over and over and over not catching any of this stuff that we're talking about now. <laughs> like, yeah, vampires. It's a very like, I look forward to when I could feel ways about stuff kind yeah. of. <laughs> I was with Alicia this time. This Carnival is her first rides. time seeing it, which is an, an entirely different experience. And I was reminded of this because you were talking about Corey Haim. And she was like, you have to tell them my favorite part of this movie 
is Corey Haim yelling, I can't believe it. My own brother, a goddamn shit-sucking vampire. <laughs> the delivery of this stuff is just like so, it's so wonderful. Mike, what happened? Nanook. What about Nanook? What'd you do to my dog, you asshole? Nothing. I didn't hurt him. He bit me. This is my blood. Why'd he bite you, Mike? Huh? What would you do to him? He was protecting you. Look at your reflection in the mirror. Your creature of the night, Michael. Just like out of a comic book. You're a vampire, Michael. My own brother, a goddamn shit-sucking vampire. Oh, you wait till mom finds out, buddy. Sammy, wait. Sam! Because there's a scene at the middle of this movie when you're like, oh, this is a dark, serious vampire movie where he's hungry and he's going to, like, bite his brother. And then, like, within the next five minutes, he gets attacked by the dog, doesn't kill the dog, and tells his brother what's going on. And I was like, oh, that changes the entire movie. This dog, how great is the dog? Cody the dog. Dot Cody the dog, yeah. I, I was trying to look this up, but it's really hard to find the specific video about Cody the talking dog because I saw there was a show, like an Animal Planet show back in the 90s that was like, this is the Alaskan Malamute that can talk. Now, a lot of them can like make sounds. It's not specific to that dog thing, but I'm pretty sure this is Cody the talking dog that I saw on like an Animal Planet thing when he was like, I rolled through and I'm like, I believe that dog fucking talks and he loves me and he does taxes. And he's like the one who arranged the well, whole situation for the family to move. Are you saying this dog caused Diane Weiss to get divorced? Probably. It was probably better for her. Honestly, yeah. I'm pretty sure this dog was like, now this is how you avoid this legal battle. All right. <laughs> Talk about the prenup. So nine movies out of 10, that dog would be the MVP. But he can't be the MVP of this movie because this movie has grandpa. Yes. I'll go through the recap if that's cool. Yes. Okay. We hear the banger cry oh, little good. lifter. It's his banger after banger. Oh, my God. And then the fucking synth and the drum machine situation. Yeah. Uh, it's like uh, you can feel that shit. You can see the neon. They don't have to do much. All they really have to do is film on location in Santa Cruz. And honestly, Santa Cruz being Santa Cruz does the rest. Right. Yeah. They do like make a point of like Santa Cruz, Beach Boardwalk. Here we are. Because this first scene, we're flying in over the boardwalk. Our titular Lost Boys, Kiefer Sutherland, Bill S. Preston Esquire, Twisted Sister, and the brunette one are harassing people at the boardwalk. I love this scene because aside from them being vampires, yeah, this would happen any Friday or Saturday night oh, yeah. at the boardwalk in the 80s at Santa Cruz. Yeah. And security officer breaks him up and then gets attacked later by the air, question mark. Something scary happens to him from above. And it's by bat noises and a swooping camera. I want to say, oh, maybe they got that from Raimi, but Evil Dead 2, also 1987. What the fuck? 1987. Fantastic here. For yeah, wow. Good for that. Yeah. All these folks must be talking to each other or something. Because Joel Schumacher rented a crane. Oh, yeah. And he was like, I am using this fucking thing. <laughs> yeah. A crane. Well, he got like a fucking helicopter or something. Or he found some really sweet yeah. footage. But so now mood shift. Here is our real MV MVP, Sam, played by Corey Haim. His hair is also great. Not as much great of it, hair. but mm -hmm. his shirt makes up for it. He has nothing um, but incredibly patterned, colorful shirts the whole movie. It's just fantastic. They're yeah. all a size too big, 
but it's working for him. The late 80s, early 90s was the time of oversized clothing. And it was really nice because it was breathable and you didn't have to like worry he, about sizes. You and also like Excel look done. And he looks comfortable the whole yeah. movie. Yeah. Those yeah. are comfortable outfits that are super fashionable. They're like a slouchy cut, but they're perfectly tailored for like his shape and stuff. So he's not drowning in things. It's just like a beautiful statuesque silhouette of bowling carpet. Yeah, it's like lots of patterns. It's almost like uh, some kind of renaissance, or not renaissance, rococo, different thing, Mm -hmm. like a rococo situation. And so we meet his family. There's Lucy, who is his mom. She is long suffering and the only representation of semi-capable women in this movie she's diane west uh you may recognize her as for being kind of the same character in edward scissorhands she's your mom and my mom and everybody else's mom so she's there and she's just dealing with these kids who are you know they're great but they're a bit much because michael played by jason patrick sam's older brother is jim morrison that's it honestly you're right and which kind of explains david's obsession with michael Given the more Jim Morrison poster he has in the Vampire Hotel. Yeah, they have this weird cut where they blend them together. And I'm like, I don't know. Other than the people are strange thing. I don't know what this weird obsession with the doors is in this movie. Michael looks like Jim Morrison. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that they live in Southern California or Middle California, essentially. And they like to be strange now santa cruz was known as the murder capital of the world not because of vampires as far as we know but i believe because of the hillside strangler because there were two or maybe even three serial killers active in the late 70s in santa cruz if you want to know more about that watch mindhunter or read a book or whatever there's like a million podcasts about it anyway santa carla's crazy it's the murder capital of the world the entire town is just rides and there's punks and goths and hippies david cross is there we see a lot of posters for missing children some of them are boys they're these boys are lost well no one's found them yet (laughs) michael asked for jobs there's nothing legal apparently at the gas station that he's at the next mvp is now introduced which is the grandpa he is a an eccentric taxidermist living in the hills played by bernard hughes who we introduced to the grandpa he is like supine on the deck and they think he's dead and what a character introduction just faking being dead for shits and gigs and mom is unfazed she's like dad oh dad dad we learned that lucy the mom is divorced through a truly savage line by the grandpa that i had to write down oh yeah tells her to her face you're the only woman I ever knew who didn't improve her situation by getting divorced, end quote. Lucy, you're the only woman I ever knew who didn't improve her situation by getting divorced. Yeah, I know. But a big legal battle wasn't going to improve anybody's situation. You know, Dad, we've all been through enough. You know, anyway, I was raised better than that. I think that's Grandpa Filter. His house is fucking awesome house this grandpa is living his absolute best retirement life oh yeah he's just leaning into everything like he is driving i think the same car that bell's dad has in beauty (laughs) (laughs) this this grandpa does uh do a lot better than bell's dad though um yeah he's got the la cucaracha horn 
which and, always like dies halfway through La Cucaracha, which is yeah, the best detail. Fucking Chekhov's La Cucaracha Jeep. He just lives in his awesome beach house, fucking taxidermies animals, drives in his crazy car, and bangs window- widows along the shore. Fucking he's got it made. He yep. doesn't have any aftershave. And you want to know something? He uses fucking Windex's aftershave, and it works. Oh. He fucking seals the deal. Sam <laughs> apparently had a Greek uncle or something because Sam is the one who suggests the Windex is the aftershave. Look at this. Rash. Somebody gave me the mati. Put some Windex oh, on. God, please, please. Also, I love how he's asking for aftershave, clearly not having shaved. So... Now, I would say that this house seems crazy. Like, the kids go into the house and they're like, this is fucking, what the fuck, what? It is like how the first thing Michael unloads, it unpacks, is weightlifting equipment, which he then just immediately starts doing bicep curls. He was really holding back. He wanted to be doing that the whole time. They, they are moving to Santa Carla, not Santa Cruz, in order to move in with Dad, and I'm pretty sure this is a transition period for them. And, of course, there's Nanook, the Malamute, who... At first, I was like that poor dog, and then I realized that the dog was moving from Phoenix, Arizona. So this is definitely an improvement. Oh, yeah. yeah. Th- this dog's fine. This dog's got a fucking body count by the end of this movie. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> the nuke. This dog is like the Velociraptors, but on our side. If this dog was in Jurassic Park, oh, but man. yeah. Nuke so- would still be alive or dead faster before he could sell stuff. Yeah, I know. The dog would have been on it. Yeah, Nanook would have hacked that shit. He would have found out white rabbit object. Like Nanook would be like, I got it. This voice that you've chosen. I love your that talking dog stakes. That's what the dog sounded the like dog. on the No, show. yeah. I've seen I've seen the videos you're talking about, it and it's very yeah. it's very accurate. Yeah. He sounds like fucking Scooby-Doo, is this dog. I love this grandpa. His shelf in the fridge is labeled old fart, and he doesn't own a TV, but he reads TV guide. What a great, terrible grandpa. The shelf is labeled old fart. When they get there. So did he already have a shelf just labeled yes. part in the Absolutely. In the that was all his like self-indulgent shit. When Widow Johnson spends the night, she's not allowed to take anything from that shelf. I also want to mention in this scene, Jason Patrick and Corey Haim are doing the cutest little brother things where they're like fucking with each other and yeah. trying to like distract each other. But, like it, it feels very ad-libbed and very fraternal. You know, it's really cute. Yeah, it's really organic and sweet. Yeah. You're better being um, cute brothers than my brother and I have ever been. They are very sweet. Yeah, they like care about each other. They have good brotherly chemistry. Yes. And they also give each other shit, which is, you know, it's not like too saccharine. They give each other shit in various ways that it is believable and organic. I mean, uh, brother is a shit sucking vampire. So. I really don't want to dwell on that image. A, that's a very <laughs> different horror movie. Monstered. Anyway, that's a real movie. I haven't seen oh. it. That's too bad. I'm going to re- humbly request that we never put that on the schedule. <laughs> I will leave the podcast. So if you ever want to get rid of me, that's how you do it. I got to say, imagine you were told like, yo, vampires, immortality, you just have to feed. And then it's like, okay, I can kill people, but you didn't say anything about, like, where's the nearest sun? I'm going right into the sun. Speaking of, it's fucked up that they're trying to turn Laddie into a vampire. Like that's fucked up, an eight-year-old vampire. And you're just yeah. condemning someone to be like eight. That That's too much. Yeah, I think that was definitely a Max move. David just wanted boyfriends. I'm sure Max is like, but we, we need a girl and a, so we, we can yeah, look that like we're like Max being like nuclear yeah. family. Yeah, somehow Near Dark pulled exactly the same move. Like, 
months apart, they were like, we should have a girl vampire and then she should want a kid. So we should turn a kid into a vampire. I think Star probably turned. Well, no, Star and Laddie were both half vampires. Yeah, Star hasn't yeah. turned anybody. Yeah. I mean, again, this and Near Dark both dealing with the whole sense of like, oh, you can be turned into a vampire, but then you can be turned back if you haven't killed anybody or there's a difference if you haven't killed anybody. I yeah. guess Near Dark, you just turned it, you can just get unvampired if you just get like a regular ass blood transfusion. So this is actually where the most important scene in the movie happens, which is, what's his name? Man. Sexy Sax Man. He has a name though. I want to call him Tom Morello, but it's not Tom Morello. It is, Tom, be- it is Tim Capella. Thank you. So Tim Capello, former backup singer of Tina Turner, is wearing this fantastic leather and chains. And that's it. Like he's got like leather hot pants and some chains and a lot of oil. And he is. For him, shit was just a Tuesday. Yeah, that is the energy that he is rocking. He's doing this amazing hip He shimmy. does this show twice a week on during summers. Yeah. And you know what? Like, if the, if I had to pay like 50 bucks to get to the, just to spend a whole day on the, the boardwalk so I could see that show, I would. Like, I would spend that and all the like hiked up prices for the corn dogs or whatever. Okay, no joke me. though. Santa Cruz has like amazing corn dogs. Like, boardwalk corn dogs are boardwalk. every penny. Santa Cruz, they do something different with the oil. I don't know what it is they do. My partner knows what it is they do, but they're same oil they put on Tim Capello. Yes, they used Tim Capello oil. That's a secret. Or maybe they harvested it from him. Yeah, it's great. The oil going down the ab gutters. I clean that up. I clean that up. So Michael is at the show and he's like, I, this is okay, I guess, because he's busy looking at Star, who's a very sexy lamp. Can we talk about (laughs) Star's dance moves? (laughs) She has two rock back and forth. Not even like, like most people (laughs) rock when they dance, like rhythmically front, front to back. She just puts one shoulder forward and then moves the other shoulder around. She's just slow and then rotating her shoulders. Alicia nearly died when this happens in the movie, which is she goes to dance and her dance is clap, hands together, single gyration of body, and then stop clapping. She can't dance and look at Michael at the same time. I think she's using some kind of discipline, like she's using presence or something like that in order, you know, it's like a social discipline, but she's not a social primary, obviously. Michael, on the other hand, is just using creeper stare on yeah, her. Yeah, he's just we staring at her. But it's super effective. Yes. And even Sam is like, hey, we're there's a sax man. You should be like paying attention to that. I just think he's neat. Yeah. Michael is so Gen X that he can't even appreciate the sax man. Lucy is wandering the boardwalk and finds a boy who was lost, but it's only one. So there are more. Don't worry. Uh, It's fine. Yeah. And she goes to the videotape rental store. Something old. I do miss the mom and pop uh, video store. I love the like hanging 80s art in here. Just the like framed bright shapes in this in this place they're just all over so there's a girl that's a cashier in this place 
who pops up again, like prominently, like framed yeah. in the background of a scene. Apparently she's in a lot more scenes in like the original cut of the movie and all of her stuff was cut out. Uh-huh. It's been like, she weirdly prominently framed. Yeah. Her. And then when the mom is talking on the phone later, she's like excitedly watching her in the background. There's like, what the fuck is that girl's deal? It is implied that there's something going on with her because there's some sort of chemistry between her and the Lost Boys. But because they have yeah. a conversation, but I that's all we see of this in the movie is them talking to her through the TV screen cashier thing. Um, and she does work for Max, so. Yeah. Max uh, doesn't want them hanging around here. Here's your first clue that they listen to Max, even in a whatever old man. Yeah. Kind of way. The boys show up and Max is like, hey, you get out of here. And Max introduces himself to Lucy, offers her a job, introduces her to his dog and his clear glasses, which are now on Vogue again. Very good. I'm glad that that. Oh, yes, I have some. Yeah, they're great. They they kind of rule. I kind of love them. And people these days rock them so much better than this dude did. And but I'm he's still like wondering. Eric Harriman is six five. He doesn't just seem really tall. He really is quite tall. He is a very large man, but he looks very much like a dad. In fact, he looks so much like one of my students' dads that I awkwardly encountered at a concert (laughs) where I saw The Fix in Petaluma. Shout out to Mr. Mills. He's not a vampire. Any shorter that I know of. Who knows? Anyway, Sam isn't into girls, so he's into comics. And he says about comics in the scene is nonsense. I love Incredible. it. Isn't it brilliant? I, I love his line. Lori Lamaris hasn't even been introduced as if Lori fucking Lamaris has ever mattered to Superman comics. <laughs> Superman's uh, Mermaid X. Looking for a Batman 14. Yeah, this is. There's only four of them in existence. What the fuck kind of nonsense is that? I'm talking about it like it is the blue eyes white dragon. <laughs> Looking for the fucking pieces of Exodian. They don't even have red kryptonite. You can't put your 70s with your 220s. Well, the way that they talk to each other is so great because it's such like my uncle works for Nintendo like posturing, geek posturing bullshit. It's so good. And, you know, and the Frog Brothers are so serious. I do have to say what I do like about this comic book shop is that it's not the 90s yet. So the comics are just sort of like out on the shelf. They're not in like crazy bags inside of a glass case somewhere like this is comics fucking everywhere this was this is a real store i mean they're on the boardwalk but it's still in santa cruz what this they're what like a year and a half out from crisis on infinite earths well this is 1987 we we got joy we'd like they're enjoying george perez's wonder woman right now i'm sure Corey hames character enjoys the shit out of that so emma if you were in this comic book store (laughs) where would you be in the comic book store at this time. This time? I yeah. would not be in the comic book store because my mother would have let me read comic books. Oh, no. Or I would have had social anxiety. I would have been terrified. Oh, I would be sitting outside, wistfully staring into the window. Like, seeing Corey Haim as somebody who's, like, that passionate about comics and having that be, like, his character. And I feel like there's... It's weird because he's in the city and he's supposed to be the country boy, but he's very much the city boy in this situation. Mm-hmm. Because the frogs are like proto-libertarians. Yeah, they're like little right-wing doomer 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know what it says about their like parents who we see a few times who are just like eternally asleep, passed out at the cash register. <laughs> frog which, mother and frog father which, as noted in the credits. This is Atlantis Fantasy World. That's the name of the comic book shop. And in fact, uh, Joe Ferreira, the second who owns the shop, is playing pinball in the second time they're in here. But yeah. The shop is still in Santa Cruz. It's just not on the boardwalk anymore because something happened to the actual building. I appreciate that because at this point, I feel like that's the best way I'm ever going to get into a movie is not through any kind of actual skill, but just by doing a thing that then maybe justifies a cameo in a thing. Yeah. And y'all are lucky because like, you have movie uh, bodies. Like Jordan Belfort in The Wolf of Wall Street. He got to cameo in it because it was about how he went to jail. Yeah. That I could go to jail and then be, and then like, I don't know, be a cafeteria worker in the movie about Santa Apparently, if you do go to Atlanta's Fantasy World in Santa Cruz, they do have a copy of Vampires Everywhere, number one there, that you can take a picture of, with, which is... Does it have the Frog Brothers phone number on the back? I do not know. I mean, that's just great. I mean, not doing so. I mean, that's just leaving money on the table. Yeah. Trying to force the one guy in the shop to take your indie comic book is really relatable to me. That's true. Yeah. That's true. there's definitely a part of me that did not like, purely as a comic reader, I didn't like how gatekeepery they were as comic book store employees. Yeah. But it was realistic. Oh, yeah. Very realistic. <laughs> Aside from, you know, <laughs> the inherent absurdity of Corey Feldman, a person who looks both 13 and 30 at the same time <laughs> as this movie. Wasn't he cast the same way in Gremlins? Like he was supposed to be like a much older, or no, the, the main character was supposed to be younger. Right. There's like an opposite situation in in Gremlins. Again, I'm not saying that's actually the case in The Lost Boys. I'm just saying that feels like the way Corey Feldman plays it, at least. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's great. It feels like the way, like... It's a good character. This running joke slash theory is based entirely on vibes. No, like, behind-the-scenes info. Oh, but still, like, it's still, like, it's an interesting synchronicity with Corey Feldman and how he's, like, that charismatic, no matter how old he is. I miss his role in Gremlins where he is just seeing literally impossible creatures exist and he just does not give a fuck. Yeah. He's he is just like, we in the magazine. Yeah, Gremlins, whatever. Fucking magazine. Cool. This chinchilla talks. That's, I guess, not weird. The uh, Guts Berserk and his girlfriend steal some comics from these children who are here. Yeah, they just swipe them and run away. Yeah, and these are like, they're probably supposed to be teens. I mean, these are like actually 20, at least 20-year-old people and the frog yeah. are supposed to be they like 40. I do appreciate that we do at least see the woman like reading the comics and being hugely invested in them. Yeah, she's like, loving this comic. Like she's my, having a, like, That's every date I've like I had in high school, which is like, hey, you want to make out? And I'm like, no. I'm reading Johnny the Homicidal Maniac. It's like, funny. She is literally pushing away being like, I don't, I don't know sex. I'm reading comic books. So relatable. Unfortunately, her boyfriend is racist. I don't feel as bad about her dying, but. I mean, it is, it does reflect morally on her that she chooses yeah. to date a racist. Yeah. Beauty has her way by Mommy Callis plays as star Laddie, who is the kid. It's dressed like Adamant, except without the makeup. It's too bad because makeup is fucking fly. And well, I was confused by Laddie because the clothing he's wearing looks like he could have been, uh, I don't know, a vampire since the Civil War, but <laughs> apparently he's just halfway to being turned into vampire. We'll find out later on. Maybe he was halfway. Does he have a pair? Question mark. 
yeah, recruited to be a companion to Star, who I guess is a relatively new acquisition, is a new hire in the vampire. This is all sounding real dodgy from a team building exercise standpoint. Yeah. Well, and apparently Laddie is so recently missing that his face is still on the milk carton. So there's that. The hair boys rev their motorcycles suggestively at Michael and then they have his motorcycle. Yeah. <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland. You don't have to beat me. You just have to keep up. Yeah. Fucking. Yeah. They're the, the, what you said. Now, does Michael have his earring yet? Not yet. I think it's but his, super, his super duper straight earring. Yeah. Well, Sam has Sam is pierced already. Sam has that earring. Yeah. Head. Yeah. Yeah. Which, Sam's going to be one of those people where he's like, when did I come out? I mean, I was never really in. Exactly. That's going to be his he's living right life. Yes. I've been singing both parts of songs in my bathtub my whole life. And he is having the time of his life in that bathtub. God he is, has more confidence. I feel like he has so much more self-confidence than Michael does. Oh, Michael, yeah. kind of an inspiration in terms of just yeah. living authentically and confidently. Exactly. Which is why I think it's great that he's like the most flamboyant one. I mean, if this movie came out now and it was some of the other like sexy lamp situations were addressed and Sam was just like, they never said that he was gay, but like. Sam just like kisses Alan Frog or something at the end on the cheek being like, love you, love you too. And then it would be perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Like it would, it is Didn't one of the other want there to be a third frog brother named Poe. And just every, there point. needs to be a third one. It's weird that they're two. I always forget that there are only two. It's unnatural. It's Edgar and Alan. <laughs> it just you think Poe became think, a vampire yeah, and they normally, killed him. Normally in this kind of role, it'd be like equal. And they're like, the roles are kind of equal in terms of, what they do storytelling wise, but in terms of screen presence, it's so wildly not equal. Yeah. yeah. Like this is the kind of thing where it's like, if you got like two character actors who were similar, like nowadays this would be like, if and if they were adults, it'd be like, oh, we're going to get like Nick Kroll and John Mulaney to be the frog brother. Like, you know, like <laughs> a do like people that are known as being like a duo, a comedy or having like certain chemistry with each other. And in this one, it's like, Man, you gotta, you just fucking knocked it out of the park on the first, on like with Corey Feldman. Again, I feel bad for this other frog brother, but he just can't keep up. Yeah. Maybe Poe is their sister, and then she just went off to be a musician. She's an accountant. Well, she hunts werewolves. Right. And then there's a musician. I can't remember the name of her hit song that was on all the time in the 90s. And I can't. Remember. Is that it? Yeah, I think. Hey, was, it angry, was it Angry Johnny? But yeah. So. Fucking Keith or Sutherland suggestively leads him on a sexy motorcycle chase. Oh, well, that's later. Because first they attack Guts Berserk and the girlfriend. Then we have the Chekhov's Cadillac and Sam returns to the, <laughs> because Grandpa won't drive him to town in that fucking awesome ass Cadillac or I don't know if it's an actual Cadillac. I don't know cars. I know I live in California, but I just see them in. It was like a shed. It's blue. Probably. It's a blue one. I will say my grandpa had like the fancy super old car that was like, no one but me is allowed to drive this. My and it was a very happen. grandpa of him. And I appreciated that growing up. He let me drive in that, in that car with him and it did not have seat belts. Oh, no. My folks had my grandparents car, which was a baby blue Cadillac with bench seats. And I remember my folks drove it to the drive-in to see who framed Roger Rabbit and three men and a baby 
double feature. That's my story. Okay. My grandpa's story. car was a Volkswagen, but he put a Cadillac hood ornament on it. Good for him. That's amazing. Yeah. Why not? This is, this is Again, the same energy the of like grandpa energy we got to aspire to. <laughs> yes. Okay, so the Frog Brothers reveal to Sam that they are not simply mild-mannered, underage employees of their parents at the comic book shop, but they're also superheroes fighting for truth, justice, and the American way. That was really good. That, that was a good impression. Thank you. It's Sam is this Stallone tough guy voice coming out of what is very visibly of like a 14-year-old. I feel like in terms of vampire roles in this movie... Because we're getting up to the uh, the scene with David and the next scene with David and Michael. It's way better to be a vampire in a universe where vampires can still eat human food. Oh yeah. my God, yes. That seems like one of the biggest downsides is like, oh, you'll live forever. It's like, but I can't eat anything. It's like, no, just blood. Like, yeah. no food whatsoever. I'm like, oh, no sun and no food. The oof, those are tough. I think yeah. I could handle sun if I could still like eat and drink whatever the fuck I want. I remember in high school, yeah. a friend of mine asked me, like, would you rather give up Chinese food or sex? And I didn't have I, I didn't have sex in high school. And even now, I'm like, this is a no brainer. Like, I can't live without Chinese. Food. So especially if you can still eat garlic, man, if don't do nothing. Oh, baby. Yeah, it. that's a hard fuck time. It, just bite me. I'm good. I'm good to go. Let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's like a like a Dracula thing. Like he can every once a generation or something, he can go out in the day and eat garlic or whatever. Man, I would that would be so cute. Just like Dracula's day off, where he can just like eat spaghetti and go out and like to the beach. Yeah, yeah. It, I think it was in like the movie or it was in the book. And Dracula, he's like sometimes at a vampire, very special time of a vampire's life when he can go out for one day and like pick up chicks. Let's talk about Michael's earrings. And how carnival earrings are a, a ripoff. Why not get it from a sketchy vampire girl? Yeah, she picked yeah. up the first thing she says to him is, other than that's a ripoff, is like, not, hey, how you doing? Hey, not like let me penetrate you. Yeah, like, it's actually kind of badass. But like, Why pay a strange man to do it when you, I can do it for free? Yeah, I can't dance, but I can pierce. She's really good at staying still, so. I mean, honestly, if I, that was my like, yeah, further questions, whatever you want, whatever you want to penetrate, yeah, let's do it. Whatever. Ears, yeah, sure. I've turned around on her character. I think her offer to penetrate Michael is like her opening comment. It's kind of a fucking baller move. So I actually, I really like her character, actually. I it about Stur's character. Yeah. Because I, I feel like there's not much there. Please defend her because I want to open my horizons. Her seriously. hair is just so curly and I like that. Is curly hair a character trait? I don't know. I can't really explain it. I just like her. I like her. No, I, no Emmett, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I am on T-Star. She, she gives me like trans lesbian energy and I just love that. Like she's like the one girl that hangs out with all of these guys. That's fucking I like valid. how protective she is of Laddie. Yeah. Yeah, I do. She's quiet and she doesn't do much, but she's not a like an empty character. She's got a lot going on in her head, I think. Okay. Do need her to I throw like... at least one punch in this battle at the end of the movie. It's a bunch of she like boys anybody. running around fighting for her and she's half vampire being. <laughs> I mean, I do appreciate the scene where Michael comes in and he's just like, I just want answers. And she's like, what if no answers? 
butt sex. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, if you really think about it, it comes kind of back around to her just manipulating him in kind of a girl boss way where she's like, oh, I tried to warn you by telling you that you can't have the blood because... Are we creating like an alternate theory here that like Star just made all of this happen so that she could get out of being a vampire because she didn't really want to she didn't really want to do this she can't kill david herself so she just gets michael to do it i think one bit of max downside in this movie setup is that because it holds on to max being a twist reveal i i think there's a certain amount of world building and backstory that then this movie can't deliver on in order to preserve that twist if this was like a mini series where we're gonna have an entire episode dedicated to just star's backstory this movie's got enough go this movie has a lot going on but star they make clear like in the climax thinks that david is the the prime vampire or whatever and they're able to pull this off by them having max's blood in a bottle that they're just drinking from the bottle instead of from somebody directly yeah that's a good point because we all assume that it is david's blood but it's definitely like david is the the pusher because david Max seems source. big into that because he says even in the final battle like my blood is slow flow through you which wow what the hell of a like fight line would just be go to your opponent and be like i'm inside you <laughs> i mean that's actual going on between david and michael yeah, yeah. He's, he's the rufio of the lost boys he's not the real <laughs> It's not the real Peter Pan. Yeah. Yeah. He is. Holy shit. He can fight, but he can't crow. So He can fly. Wow. Bangarang. Listen, that last fight scene, there's a direct Peter Pan reference in it. So. Yes. Okay. So this is where David comes to claim Star and then challenges Michael to a motorcycle driving event where he's like, just keep up. Michael's like, I, I can't keep up with your bike. Like, he's already like, no. Nah. I can't. Yeah, your you, hair is too good. You don't your to outfits, yeah. You just have to keep up. I just like how these guys who are a hair band and like super cherubic faced Kiefer Sutherland are like the most intimidating dudes. But like, it's a bunch of twinks. I yeah, fucking yeah, Alex love Winter. Alex Winter trying to look mean like the rest of these guys. Everybody else is like, can't do it. Doing these is just giving people looks and just serving attitude. And Alex Winter is like. Yeah, I'm mean too. Honestly, <laughs> so they okay. through the fog, and uh, Michael gets mad because uh, David almost makes him motorcycle off a cliff. And so he um, up and punches him, and David just laughs at him. Just the worst response like, to punching somebody. Yeah, but it's, <laughs> he's a vampire, so he's like, "Cool." There's this, the montage is dope. Just got Lou, Lou Graham's um, "Sail on Through the Night," "Lost in Shadow." Which is something that I have screamed in my car many times. How far will you go, Michael? Yeah, how far are you willing to go, Michael? Let me show you my cool vampire hideout. It's almost as cool as your grandpa's house. And we almost (laughs) have as much weed. Nobody has as much weed as his grandpa. Dude is like propagating. Right. Oh, I love that they explicitly show that grandpa's growing weed. Yeah, that was a fun detail. So real quick here, this is where I swear that I was not on edibles. That was the other week when I was I can't make that promise. Uh, but that's fine. But I, this is just to, to relate what I was thinking about when I wrote this down. So their star 
and there's David. David is possessive of Star. So therefore, oh, he boy. is Star of David. What the fuck is that supposed to mean? Did I, I never put those two together. I'm going to make a rule. It's a guiding light. Play and say this doesn't count as Jewish representation. Yeah, because that's what I wrote. I was like, okay, so this is what I wrote. Okay, so the fact that Star is presumably of David is the closest this movie gets to barely suggesting Jewish representation. And I, I don't know if I really want to say it. I don't see a guy being like Joel Schumacher, the writers being like, I'm going to be cute and have a Jewish Easter egg joke. Yeah, and then, and now I'm like, They're if Star was David, it's or There should be more Jewish Easter eggs in movies. There should be more. There should be more Jewish. Be, oh right, I just realized. Yeah. I just realized what a fucking um <laughs> contradiction that is. I didn't even fucking put that together. Like like Ben said, they can't promise that they're not on elbows <laughs> or elbows. Yeah. Elbows. Yeah, that's what we call it now. So, if Star was David's and is now Michael's, or if Michael is fighting David for Star, is this an allegory for groups str- struggling over iconography? That's all you really need to say about that. The thing that you just Is said. The iconography, here. Michael's earring? It's the star. Jeremy, I want you to write the thought. Respond. Sorry. You broke Jeremy. The Easter egg is off coming, right? Yeah, pretty oh. much. Actually, pretty, actually that, yeah, that's pretty accurate. Yeah. There's just the one, but yeah. I always thought sitcoms were just leaving an easy story off the table, not doing Passover, say, like Passover specials with a series of increasingly elaborate and complicated <laughs> Passover, like Afi Komen searches. That, be like the Halloween heist in Brooklyn Nine Nine. That's exactly but, the comparison I was going to make. Jewish year, yeah. <laughs> the Passover heist. Hollywood hire me for things. As soon as I make a writing sample, I should probably do that first. You got some awards, right? We do this podcast every week. Yeah, we won't even TM this right now. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't think we can copyright. I don't think we can copyright my people's five thousand year old traditions. <laughs> If you spell it in a funky way. Oh, yeah. Ooh, that we could trademark. We have a movie where there's one character named... And it's like, ah, Fee Komen. (laughs) And we capitalize the F and we're like, ah, we trademark Afi Komen where the A is lowercase, but the F is uppercase. I think that would fly. Look, I'm pretty sure Toys R Us got the trademark of backwards R, so I think this could work. So now we have the scene, the cool hideout where they do the maggots and rice and noodles and worms thing. Like if you have maggots, Michael, I yeah. just this. What, what is is this nagging? Is this what nagging is? I think this is serious. Like I think there's a they're lot hazing. of nagging going on. Yeah, they're like hazing each other, but I'm pretty sure the the thing that Star is like it's blood. That feels <laughs> like a dare. It wasn't worms. It wasn't maggots. It's not blood. Okay. Yeah, I feel like at that point he was just like, oh, "This is this is definitely not blood, right, guys?" Yeah, right? yeah, <laughs> yeah. Plus, sure. like at that age, you'd be like, "What? You think I won't drink blood? I'll fucking drink blood. Give me that blood." Right? Yeah. Like, I mean, at that age, we're just like, it, "Absolutely." Oh, right. Like, so. honestly, if Star was like, "Hey, drink that blood, and I like you more," I'll be like, "Fucking yeah, give me that blood." Like, I know it yeah. poison, but yeah, you're so curly. She does rock those little tops. Like yeah, so, so they do the thing. Michael drinks the blood, and then Bill S. Preston Esquire rolls, like, sends Keeper Sutherland on a ride in a rolly chair. <laughs> and as they're having this sensual montage, they're like, really so stupid. <laughs> so great. And then they go hang out at the train bridge. 
Yeah, they do the train bridge I thing. I love that scene so much. Oh, oh my God. If you guys haven't seen the like Lego Star Wars Halloween special from two years ago, they do this with Kylo and the Knights of Ren, where like <laughs> they're they're force hanging upside down from this, this bridge, and it's the funniest shit I've ever seen. Are they but, going Kylo? Amazing, yeah. and I'm amazed that that's how far we have to go to get world building for the Knights of Ren. Do they? So, uh, I'm gonna go down to Star Wars tangent. Let's keep. Okay, <laughs> so this just, this train bridge, the train bridge scene is iconic. Just watch yeah. the movie. We're not gonna recap it. They, they scream Michael and there's a train and this bridge and they fall off a bit. And it, also, I do appreciate how if you just yell Michael's name enough, he will do anything you want him to. Peer pressure is so effective on Michael at this stage of the movie. Well, there's a very important factor here. And that factor is key for Sutherland. That's true. It's all about context. Like if ever anybody was like, eh, I'm a lady. Eh. But if Keith, Keith or Sutherland from The Lost Boys is like, hey. You want to jump off this bridge? I'd be like, when? So Michael falls off a bridge and wakes up in his bed. Yeah, not a terrible morning after for vampire transition. Like, it, you know, mostly vampire hanger hangovers are pretty rough. This one's not so bad. Uh, yeah. Michael not being able to control his vampirism, trying to attack Sam in the bathtub, which Sam is just having the time of his life enjoying. And uh, Nanook, uh, the world's best dog, fucking saves him. And then we get my favorite threat in the movie where Sam threatens to tattle and tell their mother that Michael is a vampire. I so in character, so good. Michael um, that's vampire because uh, he's thinking about killing his brother and the dog jumps in and defend him. And Michael doesn't kill the dog. Yeah, Nanook survives. I, All dogs survive. I love the implication in this scene that like, Afterwards, like when he's outside and like try and yelling and begging for Sam to let him back in, like the threat of that scene is that if he is not let in, he is going to float all the way to outer space. Yeah, like he just gravity doesn't work on him, and he can. That is the danger. The danger is if this does not work, he will just float forever. And he's holding onto the phone. He's holding onto the phone. Oh, and talking on the other end of the line. When Sam's talking to the mother and then he chimes in like, everything's fine. I'm not a vampire. Like, <laughs> amazing. That Pete Mondrian bathrobe is very important. Oh, it's, yeah. I was, that's like a Mondrian bath, yeah. bathrobe. That kid's got taste. Yeah. And also, God. like, singing Ain't Got No Home in the Bathtub by Clarence. And you both Frog man. Coincidence. Henry. I don't know if there is a coincidence between Clarence Frogman Henry and the fact that there is a frog family in this film. Okay, so Sam seeks advice from the frogs. They're like, murder your brother. And he's like, no. And then mom comes home because she hears about it and it's fucking crazy. Michael yeah, Sam tries to play it off as, oh, I read a horror comic book and I got freaked out. I'm with Lucy on this one. If I was out on a date and then my kid called me up yelling like, vampire, I'm going to die. I'm going to die right now. And then I rushed home and there was like, I read a scary book. I'd be a little pissed too. Yeah. yeah. But Sam does get over his vampirophobia of his brother. Like at first he's like, you're, oh my God, you're a monster. And then he's like, okay, you're still my brother. Okay. Yeah. That's just emotional breakdown out of, because he's floating. Sam's like, oh, all right. He's still a loser. <laughs> just like in Buffy the Vampire Slayer of the movie. Yeah. So um, after that, he goes, Michael decides he needs answers. So he goes back 
to find Star in the underground hotel. And she's like, no, but banging. Yeah, we're going to have sex and become an airplane. And then we see clouds. And yeah. I'm pretty sure the clouds represent sex. No, they become an airplane. It's part of the vampire transition. That's where airplanes come from. Yeah. Oh, I just think any time an airplane is in a movie to assume that the airplane is inherently sexual. Well, yeah. Yeah, they're very pointy. They, they It's either very... going up or it's going down. Either way, it means something. Yeah. It makes that a plane is all about. Also, we have this little interlude with Max getting like bullied, I guess, by the lost the hair boys. They fly a kite at <laughs> yeah, him. That, and... that contributes nothing to the story. I but it just makes the herring more red. And up to that point, everybody who's harassed them has been swooped down on and carried away. And he's the one person that's like, no, not here. Get out of my store that uh, hasn't been murdered. So, yeah, yeah. Sam is is uh, desperate, goes back to the frogs. They talk about the vampire rules. They can't kill the brother, even though they're very intent on Sam killing his brother. They don't talk. They don't say anything. They gutturally growl things. Kill your brother. Make you feel better. Weapon check. They decide that instead of killing Michael, they got to kill the head vampire, whoever turned Michael into a vampire. Because if Michael's a vampire, he's only half for sure. And that makes it okay. And Sam describes a setup for Underworld about the dogs and then postulates. Okay, no. I love this scene with the, the dog because the those, those growls and snarls and barks of this dog are so hilariously badly dubbed in. It is like English Godzilla level dubbing of just like, <laughs> this dog's mouth is closed and we are hearing both barking and like multiple dogs worth of sounds are coming out of this one dog, regardless of what's happening with its mouth. It's wonderful. Man, this dog is, is telepathic. It's a hound of hell. It has magical barking powers. Listen, they describe that the all vampires have hounds of hell, which also manifest as beautiful puppers. Like, honestly, I would trust Nanook more than I trust that dog to protect me. Like, that dog is like, ah, arr. And then Nanook is like, I'm going to set several traps and I'm going to steal your identity. I feel like with that dog, they ran to the problem they had with the dog and don't breathe where they're like, we need this dog to be really scary, but we can only do close-ups of the dogs that are good boys. Yeah. You know what? Hey, movies. I think you know this by now, but all dogs are good boys. I'm sorry. If you have a dog on the screen, I don't care about Cujo. They're all good boys. Monster dogs, even monster. Like I play, like I don't actually play. I watch people play Elden Ring and I'm like, oh. Well, oh, yeah. 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 Uh, and even when they're zombies, I'm like, adieu. <laughs> <laughs> to play Elden Ring. I don't know when I will ever exist in a place where I can put a hundred hours into a game. Sam thinks Max is the head vampire, which leads to the romantic comedy bit of this dinner date where they set up all of these like vampire tests. And this is some yeah. fucking high level Disney like it's like parent trap. Yeah, parent trap. It's it. so goofy. Like when they did pass the Parmesan, I thought it was like Oh, okay, that's clever. Like, you shredded the garlic and you put it in the Parmesan. <laughs> I didn't expect it to just be just a bowl of straight garlic. I mean, I'm into it. But, yeah, I mean, I guess that would burn a little bit. <laughs> just a little. Yeah, like, that's if your test is, let's just give them a spoonful of raw garlic and see if they have any reaction to it. 
I mean, they are. I got bad news like for you. You're going to be staking a lot of innocent people through the heart. I mean, that's the thing about Edgar and Allen. It's like, I really don't trust them. The movie also paints them as incredibly incapable. Oh, yeah. No, they don't actually. No, the only vampire they actually kill in this movie is asleep. Yeah. Otherwise, the dog is a better vampire hunter than them. Absolutely. They're dumb. And the movie knows that they're dumb. And they, like, fuck up Sam's day by convincing him to fuck up his mom's date, honestly. And Sam is, well, Sam is now like, I know vampires exist because my brother is one. So I really don't know what the fuck. And these guys are basically like charlatans taking advantage of him. We also, don't forget, we have Max come to the door and meet Michael at the door. And he says, well, you're the man of the house. I won't come in until you invite me. <laughs> yeah. I love that. That's some clever, clever vampire lore. And Jason Patrick has kind of a monotone in this movie when he's like doing this. Yeah. I mean, like he has great chemistry with Corey, but when he's funny, he's really great. Like when he, the, the dad comes or not the dad to be dad, Max comes to the door and he's like, hello, son, cheerio, you know but 50s dad, not like British dad. And I don't know. Hey, sport. Hey, sport. It's one or the other. They did not have dads in 1950s Britain. No, they did. That They were saying Cheerios and Rice Krispies, but they call them chips there. What are we talking about? British Rice Krispies. Is that what it But the way that Michael kind of matches his like demeanor, he's like, yeah, I'm high. I'm also here. What the fuck is happening right now? Michael sneaks off. I think also we have to appreciate how Lucy just rolls with Sam inviting the Frog Brothers over. And she's like, oh, we have plenty of food, whatever. Okay, Michael's gone. And Michael's Grandpa's gone. These were essentially one character. But if I was that mom and my son brought over those kids, I'd be like. Well, I, you know, she has. Yeah, no, I feel like she should have been excited. And then she should have seen like, yeah. oh, here's the all camo kids who are just like casually walking around with wooden spike but max deals with this like champ honestly like i know he's trying to be manipulative and whatever if he wasn't a vampire king what a catch max would be oh yeah he's a dreamboat too yeah i got like all the good gay archetypes in here it's great except max's downfall is that he was too heteronormative he wasn't happy with his boys he needed a mom (laughs) he couldn't just be a single dad It was like a kinky thing for him. Well, while they're having that that dinner date, Michael's having a dinner date with David. And they go attack the punks and have the final initiation where Michael has to go and feed. And it is finally, they show their adorable vampire faces. This scene is so cool. It is like the most gory scene in the whole movie. And it is barely, it's just enough. And most importantly, walk this way it's playing the whole time they're killing yes wait yes again fucking the soundtrack is so good yeah and it's it's teenage vampire murder said to walk this way like it starts with walk this way and then i thought like oh they're gonna fade out walk this way once the murder starts and then no killing fest and fucking aerosmith and run dmc while just like death it's wonderful yeah so much fun Because like most of this movie, the vampire attacks have been the camera flying at somebody and then them being like whisked off or whatever, or like screaming or looking scared. And then 
in this case, we finally see what they're doing. We finally see like the carnage, which is one like one guy, David, bites the shit out of his skull, like basically. <laughs> bite the, yeah, I was head again, like for as much as Michael's reaction is like, ah, this is horrifying. I don't want this. The movie honestly <laughs> doesn't treat it as, oh, look at this terrible thing you should be disgusted and shying away from. It's gory. It's over the top. It's Aerosmith and run DMC. The movie is reveling in this scene and inviting you to revel in it too. It's, a, it's an incredible scene. And even just like the color treatment and the cinematography in it is just mind blowing. You're, oh, yeah. you're so right. And I also think that they gave the vampires the close fangs. You know, usually you think with vampires, they'd have canines, like the canines out. In this movie, they make the decision to make the second like set of incisors, There's... the fangs. And I think that's because it's easier to see the fangs, especially with Kiefer Sutherland's little baby face. The Emerson brothers team up with the Frog brothers to take the fight to the vampires at their cave. We get the incredible bit of Corey Feldman just yelling weapons check. And then they pat each other down, making sure they have spikes on each on their Even though they're uh, on the outside, on the yeah. exterior of their outfit. They do. They're covered head to toe in wooden stakes. And then they go and they find Laddie and uh, Star, who Michael goes and helps put in the car while... The Frog Brothers and Sam go deeper in. Not sure about that division of labor, but okay. Michael uses his incredible vampire powers to carry his girlfriend to the car. Well, there is actually a conversation and, between Michael and Sam where Michael's like, I, they're killers. Don't go in there. And Sam's like, so are the Frog Brothers. I'm like, mm. Yeah, right. He's like, well, way to bet on the, right, on the wrong horse there. Yeah. But we get what's kind of my favorite line in the movie. Not the best line in the movie, but my favorite, where Corey Feldman says, flies and the near dead go together like dot, 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 bullets and guns, which is a terrible line. Flies. We're on the right trail. Flies and the near dead go together like bullets and guns. Come on. And it's delivered like it's a terrible line, like he just started speaking and didn't know how to finish what he was saying halfway through the sentence, which is one hell of a mood. I've been there. So vampires shoot flies is what he's saying. You load vampires up with flies. Right. Okay. You stuff them just to the gills. All they just get flies all up a day. Well, the vampires do fly. So maybe that's how they fly is they're full of flying insects. Got it. You got it. Got it in one. This is also where we get the it's one giant coffin line. So honestly, Fellman's just in fucking fine form. This oh, yeah. scene. Fellman does surf. He fucking hangs 10 through this whole climax in Denouement. Like he just rocks and rolls it. Yeah. So yeah, they go up the line and they're like, let's start with the tiniest one. Maybe he's the head. Yeah, it's just a ramp built to Alex the Winter here. It's like, for some reason, there's just a, they, they could just step up and stab him, even though they're all hanging upside down from the ceiling. Yeah, they managed to climb up and stab Alex Winter. And so it's, it's the first it's moment. entirely made of glitter. Yes. Yeah. And it's very it sad. Vampire blood glitter. Yeah. The yeah. Frog Brothers are the real monsters. He bites it. The Frog Brothers are the real monsters. They go from like, 
well, this plan isn't going exactly the way we thought it would. Let's murder a child. Yes. I feel ways about that. Yeah, we get that amazing, like, single tear that David sheds. uh, Yeah. Presumably over Alex Winter's death, I guess. Yes. So then they start getting ready for, because they know once it's night, the vampires will attack. We great scene of them just busting into the church in the middle of a baptism to just fill their canteens with holy water, which is just (laughs) this wonderful moment of, like, little surreal comedy. Yeah. Grandpa, a widow called. She wants to bang ya at like seven sharp. Get banging. So that's how they get grandpa out of the house who does not question it once he's like, yep, I'm gonna get my grandpa on. Date tonight? Oh boy. Yeah, he's fucking rare to go. And then Sam's, or Lucy, Sam tries to talk to Lucy. Lucy's like, fuck off. Like, this is it. Like, for real, I just want to have a date. And me about- yeah, I'm kind of with her on that point from where she's standing. Like, she acts very reasonably, I think. Yeah. But Sam then is like, okay, it's all it's all t- down to us. She's having a date with Max at his house full of, like, shit he got from Sharper Image. Um, Max is a Sharper Image calendar. Yes. Oh, my God, yeah. They're all, they're prepping to, to fight vampires. And for some reason, they leave the nook outside. And Michael's like, oh, shit, I got to go get in the nook. And takes the longest time untying a dog that anybody has ever taken. They had all day. They had literally <laughs> hours to just untie the dog and bring him inside. They spent the day on that montage, like filling fucking squirt guns up with garlic and ho- like holy garlic water. Just to be sure. Which, as it turns out, comes in handy because it turns out only one of them works. Yes. And surprisingly, it's the one that confirms that Jesus Christ is real. Is it? I think the garlic helps. I mean, the thing is that the Lost Boys and Star, and I don't know if Laddie, if this works for Laddie, but they don't need an invitation. Only fucking, I mean, maybe it just, you're more powerful when you have the invitation. Like none of the shit works on you if you have Yeah, well, it seems to be that in this world, it's not like you have no power. So it's not like they lose their vampire powers, but I guess like normal weakness. I don't know. It seems like they use that invitation to justify why the garlic and the holy water did nothing in the earlier scene where they're yeah. like, we need to throw people off the trail because we've put too many clues in. So when we need to do something, so we need to kind of change or add or make up vampire lore in order to achieve that misdirection. Vampires aren't real. You can make up whatever the fuck kind of rules you want. Uh, Twisted Sister here say uh, that garlic doesn't work. He's just like, garlic doesn't work. Yeah. What the fuck? But holy water, that fucking works. Yeah. Um, and he's like, oh, don't like that. Yeah. And the fucking dog tackles him into it. Nanook puts puts that dude in some holy he water. Melt. He melts so hard. Well. Squirt out of all the drains and all of the plumbing. How does the plumbing work? I guess it can't have a liquefied person. Well, yeah. yeah. Plumbing. Lightly vampire sprayed. But that's important because a very important uh, bit of vampire lore is established here. When a vampire buys it, it's not a pretty sight. No two bloodsuckers go out the same way. Some yell and scream, some go quietly. Some explode, some implode. But all will try to take you with them. Yeah, most of them just melt or, again, spark until their limbs fly off and then they explode. Yeah, well, he, the- that's our, our last disposable vampire, uh, Sam. Now that, okay, Disposable Vampire. Now that feels like the name of a 90s band. That was their band name, actually. The Sam puts an arrow through him 
And he then goes crashing into the stereo and starts sparking and explodes. And then Sam goes, death by stereo. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like the, the most 80s line. And now it's just time for, uh, it's just time for David to hang around and call Michael some more. Yeah. And then they have a very sexy vampire fight and he, where there's a lot of tension. And they do the full, like, shadow on the wall, Peter Pan reference thing while he's fighting him here. And there's a lot of, like, flying towards each other and grappling and then throwing each other around and uh, while you're fighting. It's very good. This scene, like, all of the direction in this whole sequence is really fantastic from, like, the kooky, like, crazy vampire death shit to the intense vampire fight like the lighting and the part where where Sam is trying to locate the vampire with the top of the with like the spotlight at the top of the lampshade thing so good and the and the fight is tragically ended on a couple of impala antlers in the taxidermy lab david is felled and dies slowly I guess this would be the going quietly, but the chorus plays and it is, we talked about that. It's- yeah. And the light fades over him. Yeah. The David and also, I guess everybody else forgets that, uh, antlers aren't made of wood. I think the penetration is all you really need. You just need to get the heart. That's just the title of the episode right there. Penetration is all you need. Penetration is all you really need. Penetration. That's gotta be a musical number in some Broadway show, right? Maybe Chicago. So Max, they, uh, mom and Max come home and Max is like, I am the vampire, blah, except he's not Russian or whatever. And uh, he does the whole thing about have mom looking for mom for his kids. And Lucy, some fucking bomb acting here is like, he's got to save my kids. And is about to accept the vampire's kiss. And then grandpa comes to save the day with a fanfare of La Cucaracha. <laughs> don't fight, Lucy. So much better if you don't fight. Mom! Mom, don't! Mom! Don't do it, Mom! Mom, don't do it! Damn. Mom, no! Mom, no! Damn. Mom! Mom! <laughs> Well, a large piece of wood goes right through Max and he literally explodes in fire in the fireplace. Then we have my favorite part where everybody is watching Grandpa, not knowing what the fuck he is caught on to about any of this, as he stumbles to the the fridge, gets his root beer, and then says, One thing about living in Santa Carla, I never could stomach. All the damn vampires. And everybody just looks at him as the the light from the refrigerator fades, and as does the movie. It's so a perfect note for that grandpa to have known about vampires this whole ass time, and just not fucking bothered mm. to have told anyone. I mean, this doesn't go to town. Like, yeah, from the vampires. One of my favorite story tropes is that like the kooky old man was right the whole time. Yeah. Oh, it's such a good trope. Yes. Yeah. I, I do want to say, we discussed David. David does, in fact, get impaled on the antlers, but he doesn't disintegrate or explode or blow up like anybody else does. And he's not supposed to really be dead because there is supposed to be a sequel called The Lost Girls. 
which was scripted but never made. It apparently later came out as some of the stuff from it came out in the Wildstorm comic miniseries, The Lost Boys, colon, <laughs> Reign of the Frogs, which um, bridges the 20 gig gap. Right of all title. The Frog yeah. Brothers got a spinoff before. Um, all of girls. Yeah, and it's... So it's I'm surprised they weren't like, what are frogs? But went on to create Shane, who was the head vampire who was in the Lost Boys direct-to-video sequel, Lost Boys the Tribe. Which, if you're going for biblical stuff, there should just be like, Lost Boys, the second plague, which was frogs. <laughs> and then yeah. have a, a lie, like half of Lost Boys Genesis, where it's like, so Max begat David, who begat Star. Just the, th- like, the centuries-long ancient vampire hunting bloodline that the frogs are actually come from. Instead yeah. of the more likely that these just fucking kids just watch nothing but, like, Vietnam movies and TV shows and then also just got hooked on vampire comics and just made that their entire identities. Yeah, well, I think that they're definitely amateurs, but I think, like, the family, Sam's family, probably have some, like, Van Helsing in there. Like, them, there's distant relatives of uh, La Cruz. So, is this movie femi- feminist? Feminist? No, no, no okay. definitely not. It's not super violent one scene where just the one scene where he's where he fucking david just is like star star and she just fucking hops off michael's motorcycle and hops on his it's just like oh this is feminist now so uh racial social justice there's there's two (laughs) yeah exclusively in montages montage singular all the people of color are part of a montage that says people are strange. So they're up there with like, look at these weirdos with mohawks and also brown people. Whoa. This movie is very white cool. though. Yeah, it's this specific flavor of homosexuality that's very focused on like young, white, skinny men in a way that's kind of toes the line of being okay and appropriate because I think that they sexualize these characters who are like, Teenagers, right? Michael. Yeah. yeah, I mean, is he a minor? They, That's the, a good point. I it's think it's hard to know. They do mention things are going to be different when school starts. Like, I want to say, I think I looked it up. I think the actor was like 21 when this movie uh, was. So, like, not so, like, pretty young. I think it's also just the 80s where young people just looked older and I don't, can't tell the, the makeup was. Yeah. yeah. Well, is it the I makeup? Mean, I don't know. Is it the water? Was it the cigarettes? Like at a certain point, aging just fucking went totally out of whack. Yeah. I mean, they didn't kick the makeup on quite as much as they did in the Covenant. And it's kind of weird watching this movie like right on the tails of the Covenant, which is a bad movie, which is trying to do some of the similar things that the Lost Boys is trying to do, well, which is like, the- look at these cute guys. But it's not as like, it's not, I don't know if it's supposed to be gay. Well, this movie's trying to make a 21-year-old be 18 in the 80s. Fucking The Covenant was trying to make 28-year-old Taylor Kitsch be like 20, like be 17. Yeah, I think, I, but when you have actors that look older than teens, I much prefer that because they are like doing sexual things. Now, t- depicting minors having relationships with each other in movies can be very touchy for people, but... The fact that they're portrayed by adults, I think, is more responsible. 
also like it doesn't feel like we're objectifying teens because there are stories some of these stories need to be told especially for those of us who were teens and saw this movie and were like trying to figure out like whether it was okay for astral vampire sex to be our sexuality or if we were like really just supposed to have sex and that was the only way that we were valid as like socially is to be sexually active or whether we liked boys or girls or non-binary people or like asexual people etc there is a very like narrow traditional white twink angle of this movie which i think is really important to talk about because while it is very attractive in that way that a lot of those of us who really like anime and stuff and watch like to watch pretty boys you know make eyes at each other one thing i wanted to mention about the l since we're kind of dovetailing into the lgbtqia stuff here is that the way that sam refers to the vampireness of michael is kind of like how like it's it feels like a parody of homophobia does that i'm not sure what you mean so thank you yeah so the way that sam is afraid of michael and okay like like, like, gotcha okay yeah yeah, the way that that sam is afraid of michael and is like oh my own brother I can't believe you. I thought I knew you right. this kind of stuff. There's this. Girls are at him, like everything. Yeah. Touch him. Yes. Yeah. But again, I do feel like it modeled just a little bit because Sam is portrayed as the most flamboyant. And yeah. So yeah. But there's like, a lot of ambiguity in the themes yeah. and messaging here. There's a lot of stuff being conflated. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. No, you're totally all over the place. Right. Totally right. Well, it's not as like straightforward. So it's not great wording there. Yeah. Well, yeah. Not as- I think it was good wording. Thank you. It's a very clever wordplay. Maybe it was straightforward. Sorry, we're getting in there. While, well, it wasn't as direct as perhaps like, this is homophobia over here, and this is being gay, and this is good, and this is bad, and be who you are. Like, the phobia, the just general phobia arc that Sam kind of goes through where he accepts his own brother, and then like, also the people who are super afraid of vampires are incredibly incompetent. And Reed is super conservative and like toxically masculine. In the end, they're less effective than a dog. And all they do is they like, they run away immediately. Like after they, they stake Marco, they're like, oh shit. Like they they suddenly realize, oh, this is real. Like they were completely on for the ride. And then they don't even fire their water guns when confronted with vampires. Yeah. Like they just found guns. Sam. Like straight Sam up fires him. water guns. Sam fires bow and arrows. Sam's on top of this shit. Sam's a Sam? straight badass. Sam, no, Sam is a not Sam's straight badass. <laughs> I think that there's a bit of classism in the movie with like the people are strange and Lucy being like, hey, Sam, tell those kids to eat something. When they see the like the little punk kids running around the gas station at the very beginning, which I'm like, mm-hmm. shit. Um, is there anything else like in terms of class? Not really. We- they're... They're kind of poor, but they just run around doing vampire shit. So they're broke and on on their like, but that's really not a thing that the movie explores. That's really just an excuse to kick off the plot. Yeah, they strike me as like Portland hippies, where like their parents were rich, but they're slumming it for fun because they think it's edgy. I mean, they're kind of vampire shit with my parents. (laughs) Honestly, that's exactly what they are because Max is like well off. Max has this cool sharp image house with the gate and the dog and like a fucking cool ass garden and whatever. Yeah, like, daddy's loaded. Yeah, daddy's loaded. And there's just like, no, we want to live in the sweet cave. 
that was like, and it's probably going to collapse any day now because it's like not only fucking falling apart from erosion from the ocean, but it also was like some impossible remnant of a collapsed resort or some shit. What about mental illness? There's not anything of interest there, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think so either. I'm trying to think if there's anything of just besides like vampires giving more, like the half vampires being unable, mm-hmm. it getting harder and harder to resist compulsion of feed. I'm trying to think like, is there anything there? And my conclusion is no. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there is. Aside from just tension and a ticking clock. Yeah. Like the, the vampire situation is uh used a lot as like an allegory for addiction and that's not really pressed in this movie like that's not really explored no. that way it's, it's more of a sexual thing yeah it's much more of yeah a sex-based thing than a substance one. yeah vampire situation is a great name for a band too just saying write it down tm tm progressively horrified <laughs> if you would like this tm please sign up for our I'm patreon i'm really mad that the band that figured out vampire plus noun equals good band name was vampire weekend <laughs> oh, there's some other ones i wish it was good i enjoyed more if you enjoy vampire weekend that is good i make no judgments on them overall but i do not personally care i mean there's certainly more vampire bands out there but if you want vampire to... deli oh vampire deli would be such a good band name yeah yeah yes i really love it because it's half like if you could shut your brain off it's just a riot and it's beautiful there's so much camera work in there that's just incredible but also i think it's a good thicker piece in terms of thinking about queer culture representations of queer culture who's allowed to represent queer culture and in what ways and how you have to navigate the sensors and things like that. So it's just chewy, crunchy movie. Yeah. Protein and sugar. Got ca- carbohydrates. Got the whole food. Pyramid. Complex carbs. Yeah. Complex. Yes, it's really interesting that this movie is like somebody took the Goonies and Near Dark and just went. Yeah. yeah. And it somehow made like a, the most beautiful monster. It's not, well, I mean, like in a, in the kind of way, like a sexy monster. Like, well, in reference to that, when asked, when Joel Schumacher was asked why he wanted to do a vampire movie, he said, they're the only sexy monsters. Frankenstein isn't really sexy. <laughs> Says you. Cool. Yeah, for real. Cause, well, you know, monster fucking has come a long way since the 80s. We made so many impressive strides oh, yeah. and innovations like. Really, the monster fucking technology we've developed. I mean, the monster fucking technology that we have in our pockets could have sent monster fuckers to the moon in the 80s. The if you like on... Lost Boys, check out porn parodies of horror films. I'm sticking with that as my recommendation, though. My recommendation is horror movie porn parodies. Okay. Well, what kind of things should I recommend? Oh, Any... play with this or just uh, anything you're enjoying or excited about? Well, this isn't an, a new or exciting thing that has been out, but I was reading or I have read a book called Enigma, which was one of the first like Vertigo launch pieces that is a sort of existential horror about queerness and coming out. So it's relevant. Way more okay. theory, uh, stuff on mental illness. Like it's just really good book. Very cool. Awesome. When was it? Is that a recent release? No, that was like in the 90s. Oh, okay. Yeah. He said Vertigo. Yeah. It was part of like the first run of comics that Vertigo did. 
Oh, rad. Yeah. Some really good thing pieces in there. I mean, a lot of us read the Sandman, but, and like Neil Gaiman, and that mm-hmm. was awesome. But like, yeah. yeah. Similar. Yeah. Jeremy, do you have Rick? Man. Drink some I, more water. I, I listened to so many. More vegetables. Don't drink blood. I listened to so many movies that Joe Schumacher directed. I'm not sure that I would recommend you watch any of them, other than, of course, music video <laughs> for Kiss. Uh, it's, it's his finest work. What about Flatliners? I mean, Flatliners have Seal singing to the bat symbol for some reason. I don't remember okay. it. I really that. wish they'd worked that into the narrative. Like, at some point, the plot hinged on Seal singing in front of the bat symbol. Seal was just hanging around Gotham City while they were all doing this. Um, no, like, somehow, it, like, this is key to stopping the Riddler's plan. Fun fact, Brett's older brother, Brett, my partner, his older brother was a body double for one of those kids running through the field and throwing rocks at the kid in Kiefer Sutherland's dream in Flatliner. So he was out there. He was also, yeah, he was also called back multiple times to play John Connor in Serenator 2. But he oh, wow. Edward Furlong, which is... Wow, uh, what could have been? Gosh. Yeah. What I will recommend here, uh, because I did spend so much time hating on Friday the 13th when we talked about it initially, and I do love the performance by by our, our buddy Corey Feldman in this movie, is I will recommend watching the one that he is in, which is Friday the 13th, the final chapter. As you may have guessed from the title, it is the fourth of 10, but it is far and away, like one of the two best Friday 13th movies, the, you know, other than two, the even numbered ones are are much better than the odd ones. I don't mind saying, but yeah, if, if you do, if you listen to that and Kevin discussed a lot on that episode, wanting to talk about more of the Friday the 13th movies, I do think number four is good. He is also listed in being as number five. He's only in it in flashbacks. Number five is final is uh, Friday the Thirteenth: A New Beginning, and that movie's hot fucking garbage. The fourth <laughs> one is worth a watch, and it is he. As I mentioned, he plays a character very much like Corey Haim's character in this movie, which I got a kick out of. So yeah, check out Final Friday the Thirteenth: The Final Chapter. For my recommendation, there's so many things out there, but I'm going to go with something I saw actually really recently, as in last night. There is a five episode mini series that just dropped on Netflix called Vampire in the Garden, and it is about this vampire lesbian who is trying to kind of rekindle her youth. And there's this it's very weird, like. Uh, dystopian setting that has a lot of richness to it, but it's really about, and it is, it's no spoilers or anything, but I mean, this is a story about a vampire and a human. So there's some tragedy there, but it's beautifully animated, really cool vampire designs. Like the vampires uh, could just get bat wings and fly around and they all have no melanin. Like they're all just kind of blank and even their eyes are kind of like blank but they're still kind of ethereal and cool looking. I mean, it is very white, but it all takes place in Russia or like some Russian-esque place. So there is that. But yeah, it's a little bit more of a character-driven Castlevania-esque adventure and very touching. But check that out. It's on Netflix. Yes. And, you know, vampires and people, maybe they can get along. There's our people too. We're anyway. All right, fantastic. Emmett, before we uh, wrap up here, can you let people know where they can find more about you and your work online? Yeah, I got a a whole diggity dang website and everything. 
It's www.emmetcomics.art, and that's E-M-M-E-T-T-C-O-M-I-X. But I'm also on like Twitter and stuff at Emmett Comics. Um, not on Instagram anymore, but the big project that I'm working on right now is called Royale the Prussian Blue. It's a webtoon. We're going on hiatus in a couple of weeks. It's a good time to like get your feet wet and come in before we come back and solve the big mystery. But it's a supernatural crime thriller and it's super queer and it's set in the 70s and it's just like throw a million things at the wall. Your art is so badass, by the way. I just have oh, a yeah, fucking you. fan out. Yes, it, it is wonderful so much on royale yeah yeah dude we're having a blast it's awesome absolutely thank you. gorgeous design gorgeous color gorgeous i love the line work it's thank you hank joe's colors it, it like takes it to the next level like i can't even describe the difference and stuff between lines and when he yeah he's a he's so good well, as for the rest of us, you can find Emily at Megamoth on Twitter and at Mega underscore Moth on Instagram and at Megamoth.net. Ben is on Twitter at Ben the Con and on their website at BenConComics.com, where you can pick up all their books, including the brand new Immortals Phoenix Rising graphic novel and the GLAAD Award-nominated Renegated Rule graphic novel. And finally, for me, you can find me on Twitter at Instagram. At, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jrome 58 and my website at JeremyWhitley.com, where you can check out everything I write. And of course, the podcast is on Patreon at Progressively Horrified. On our website at progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm, where you can read all of our show notes and at Prague Horror Pod, uh, where we would love to hear from you. Speaking of which, you can let us hear from you by leaving reviews wherever you are listening to this podcast so that we can help find new followers. Those reviews really help us reach out to people who, who haven't been able to find the podcast yet. So that's it for us. Thank you so much again to Emmett for joining us. This was a ball. I had a great time. Well, yeah. right, Emmett, thank you so much for uh, coming on today. This was so much fun. Pleasure. Thank you for seeing us through this very long review. Yeah. Thank you for your input and thank you for yes. your collection because uh, we've been talking about Lost Boys. And, like, I'm glad you liked it. It's yes. one of my favorites. Oh my God. Yeah. We loved it. Thank you so much for uh, picking this one. And yeah, sorry we ran a little long. And thank you so much for coming on. Like, no, seriously, it's so good seeing you and having a blast. Except referring to Lost Boys in every single episode that we record. Perfect. And, you know, sail on through the night, lost in the shadows. Thanks um, again to all of you for joining us. Thank you to Ben <laughs> and Emily, as always. And until next time, stay horrified. Progressively Horrified is created by Jeremy Whitley and produced and edited by Alicia Whitley. This episode featured the Horror Squad, Jeremy, Ben, and Emily, along with special guest Emmett Hobbs. All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own and do not represent the intent or opinion of the filmmakers, nor do they represent the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Cole 06 and was provided royalty-free from Pixabay. If you like this episode, you can support us on Patreon. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter at ProgHorrorPod, or by email at progressivelyhorrified at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.